Well, welcome to National Community Church, uh, all of our locations this weekend. We're thrilled that you're here as we uh, continue the Advent series. Uh, just a note, I know your campus pastor has already told you, but I'm super excited about our Christmas Eve service uh, at the Lincoln Theater. Uh, live nativity. Um, and you know what? You just never know what a live animal might do. <laughs> Sound it could make, things it could leave behind on the stage. It could be a very exciting Christmas Eve service. So uh, if you have kids or you're a big kid, um, encourage you to uh, maybe even invite a friend to come with you. Christmas Eve, Lincoln Theater, uh, 5 o'clock. Look forward to it. Well, if you have a Bible, you can turn over to Matthew chapter 2, and we'll get there in just a moment. A number of years ago, I read a book, brilliant little book, by Robert Fulgram uh, titled, Everything I Need to Know I Learned in Kindergarten. And uh, he shared a few of those uh, simple lessons. I'll share a couple of them with you. Uh, share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Uh, put things back where you found them. Don't take, take things that aren't yours. Flush. Uh, warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Uh, take a nap every afternoon. When you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands, and stick together. Uh, I, I love those. Those are so simple, uh, so profound. Now, in the same vein this weekend, everything I need to know, I learned from the wise men. So, I want to share a couple of those lessons with you. Let's read the story, and then we'll jump in. Matthew chapter 2, verse number 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. And then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, we're not entirely sure where the wise men came from or who they were. We don't know how many wise men there were. 
Uh, we tend to think there were three because there were three gifts and someone wrote a song, We Three Kings of Orient Are. In fact, our media team put three wise men in the little video they created for our Advent series. Christian tradition uh, even gave them names, Melchior, Casper, and Balthazar. Uh, but the truth is, we don't really know if there were three uh, or a caravan. Um, and we don't know exactly where they're from. We're told that they're from the east, but we don't know if it's near east or far east. And I, I know none of you are losing sleep over these kinds of questions, okay? We'll get practical in a moment, but I think it helps to know a little something about this story. I think Babylon is a good guess. And if they were from Babylon, it was about a thousand mile trek uh, on Camelback one way. Now, what's remarkable about that is that the average person never traveled outside a 35-mile radius of their birthplace in this day and age. So in my estimation, just kind of apart from Scripture, this has to rank as one of the most remarkable expeditions in history. And uh, again, we're not sure exactly who they were. The term magi originally referred to... Um, the priestly caste in Persia, but then it was more broadly applied throughout history to scholars, to astrologers, to magicians, but even magician is misleading because that tended to refer to someone who knew a little something about medicine. And uh, while we don't call our doctors magicians, they did back then. And, uh, and so we also don't know whether they were Gentile or possibly even part of a remnant that after the captivity in Babylon perhaps stayed in Babylon and knew some of these ancient prophecies or traditions. So what I'm saying is there is so much about this story that we do not know. But uh, everything I need to know, I learned from the wise men. And so let me share a couple of these uh, lessons learned. The first one we're going to touch on, second one we're going to hit, and, and the third one we're going to spend a little bit more time with. Um, first of all, uh, wise men follow the star. And uh, let's just make sure that the ladies don't feel left out this weekend. Wise women follow the star as well. We're all on the same page, right? Um, but uh, just for the sake of this story, uh, wise men follow the star. It says, we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, we've heard this story, many of us, so many times that we don't even really stop to think about any dimension of this story whatsoever. And it's almost becomes kind of white, white noise, if you will. Um, but, but I think this is significant. Uh, one of my most memorable moments from uh, this year was uh, a little retreat in the hills of Tennessee. Uh, know someone who has a chateau perched high up on a hill in the middle of nowhere. And it's just picturesque, beautiful. And, and one night uh, we were out around the fire pit. And what I noticed uh, uh, was that uh, around midnight, just kind of looked up and... Uh, there are more stars in Tennessee than there are in Washington, D.C. Uh, actually, there aren't, but of course, our city lights kind of block out those stars so that we can't see them. And uh, as I looked up, I just, it was breathtaking. And, and uh, 
so uh, uh, Ryan Zempel, who was there, Ryan and, and Heather, part of our staff or team, uh, Ryan took his phone and, and pointed it towards the sky. And I'm thinking to myself, Ryan, that picture is not going to turn out unless your camera is way better than mine. And I'm just kind of chuckling like, silly Ryan. Um, come to find out uh, that he has an app, and I've shared this with you before, but he, he has this app that when you point it at the sky, it connects the dots so that all of the constellations appear. So you're no longer just looking at random stars in the sky, but this map of galaxies and constellations and planets. I mean, it's just, it was pretty cool. And so, like, I am not star guy. Like, I can't, I look, like, I can, that might be the North Star. You know, I don't know. Um, I know the sun. Got that one. Uh, the rest of them, like, just a bunch of dots in the sky, but he's pointing up and like, there's the Big Dipper. And then there was like, it was incredible, like a bear, there's a bear up there. Um, and a lady, I forget her name, but there's a lady up there. Um, and it's connecting all the dots and all of a sudden, like the, the, the night sky became more miraculous to me. I, I think just, just for the sake of simplicity, here's what I wanna suggest. There are billions of miracles right above us but most of us never even take the time to look up or to appreciate what we're looking at or to appreciate that the light that left those stars left them a long, long time ago. Uh, unbelievable. Um, and so I think then what happens is um, it's so easy for us to miss the miracle. Now, Psalm 19 is one of my favorites because it was uh, my grandfather's favorite. Uh, he quoted it to me when I was six years old, unforgettable moment, um, looking for cutting down a Christmas tree in, in Minnesota on a, on a cold, snowy night. And uh, I'll never forget it. And I love this psalm. Uh, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. But if we aren't careful, we stop staring at the stars. We stop stargazing, uh, if you will. We stop following uh, the stars. Now, just for a juxtaposition, let, let me try this on for size. And uh, please don't let this come across as me pointing a finger at you because uh, as the old saying goes, then there are three pointing back at me. So this is not me coming down on anybody, but let me just, uh, can I take a little survey? Here, here's the survey. Uh, this year, um, did you, was there ever a moment where you bumped into somebody because you were walking while texting or tweeting or angry birding? <laughs> see your hands. Come on. I need, I need to see this. To know that I'm not alone. <laughs> um, that has happened to me. Now, now, just to see if we can include a few more people, how many of you were uh, at a meal uh, this year, friends or family? And at some point in the meal, you just happened to notice that everybody was on their phone simultaneously. Let me see your hands. Okay, that gets just about 
everybody, and, and this is going to sound kind of cliche, but I, but I am making a point. I think at some point we stop staring at the stars and we start staring at our phones. And our world gets smaller and smaller. and We lose the sense of wonder that, that when Jesus said you must become like little children, I think much of that is recapturing a wonder for our creator and his creation. And so all I know is this, is we've got some wise guys who are looking at the stars, and there's gotta be this holy curiosity, this sense of wonder as they look into the night, and it tells me a lot about them. And I wonder if we stop doing that. I mean, how many moments have you had where you've just been kind of lost in the awe or wonder? Because life is not measured in minutes, it's measured in moments. And it's those moments when we just kind of look up and, and come alive. But, but of course, the wise men didn't just uh, uh, stare at those stars. They followed the star. And this is where the story gets so interesting because we assume it because it's all we've ever known because it's the way the story goes. Um, but, but I wonder, were there some not wise men who saw the star and didn't follow it? I bet there were some not wise men who had the same opportunity to follow a star, but did not do it. Um, you know, I've hiked the Grand Canyon from rim to rim. Um, it was awesome. It was hard. Um, but, but here's the thing. There was a trail, okay? And markers on that trail so that it would be almost impossible to get lost. Uh, I have hiked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu. Um, for the greatest days of my life. But here's the thing. We had a guide and we had porters who carry our stuff, including my inflatable mattress. <laughs> oh yeah, that's exactly what everybody else on the trip did when I pulled out the motor and they hear this noise and I'm filling up, but I slept great. <laughs> I believe in adventure, comfortable adventure with a good night's sleep. Now let's hike. All right. Uh, those are some of the greatest adventures of my life, but, but part of what I'm just putting out here is this, following this star is just an adventure that's in a category all by itself. There was no trail. There was no map. There was no guide. All they had was a star to guide them. They didn't know where they were going, how long it would take to get there, or who it was that they were trying to find. I, I mean... Here's what I'm saying. This is one of the greatest leaps of faith in all of Scripture. Now, you have Abraham, right, who left his family and his country to go to the promised land, to Canaan. And, and, and we kind of like, yeah, you know, Abraham, you know. Because um, Hebrews 11 says he went even though he didn't know where he was going. Like, that's awesome. But in my estimation, the, the wise men up the ante. Like, to me, this is even a bigger leap of faith. Because we don't even know that they've heard the voice of God. At least Abraham did. But something in them enables them to take this step of faith. I think if I could zoom way out and just kind of get us to look in the mirror for a moment, I guess I would ask the question, are you following the star? The dream that God has put in your heart, um, just going after God. I love that, that old Christmas card that just says, wise men still seek him. I, just, I think it's the greatest card ever. I just don't think you can never come up with a card greater than that. Unless maybe there was the thrill of hope music when you opened it. 
And I mean that uh, seriously. Um, see, he, here's, here's what I'm getting at. Um, and this is the point that we sometimes miss. Who should have found the Messiah? It should have been the religious leaders who were in Jerusalem five miles from Bethlehem. But they wouldn't even go five miles out of their way to see if, if the Messiah was in fact born. But you have these, these ancient wise men who go way out of their way, at least a thousand miles out of their way to discover, and they discover the Messiah and it changes their life, it changes the course of history because that one divine appointment helps save Mary and Joseph and Jesus. So, all right, let's uh, talk about number two. I think wise men jump for joy and uh, this will make uh, a little bit more sense in a moment. Uh, verse 10 says, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. And that's the phrase that I want to come back with because this translation, the New Living Translation, doesn't quite capture it. But we'll get there in a second. Um, now, I want to be careful how I share this because it's so easy to make kind of overstatements um, depending on whatever topic you're preaching on. Um, and I don't want to do that, but, but I do think this is something that, that we need to hear. Um, so let me say it this way. I'm not sure what our biggest shortcoming is, that we sin too much or celebrate too little. I mean, another way of saying it would be, um, I don't know if our biggest shortcoming is like not feeling bad enough in terms of true, genuine repentance for what we've done wrong, or 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 celebrating what God has done right, his righteousness, his goodness, his greatness. I just don't think we celebrate the goodness or greatness of God as much as we could or should. I don't think we celebrate life or celebrate love like we could or should. I don't think we celebrate the little blessings or the big blessings as much as we could or should. I don't think that we enjoy life, enjoy the journey, or enjoy God nearly as much as we could or should. The Shorter Westminster Catechism says that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's the second half that I think we forget. We leave it off. We, we don't realize that God wants us to enjoy him. Now, uh, earlier this year, uh, and you can tell I'm kind of in reflection mode because I'm sharing a few things I've shared before, but I think sometimes uh, some things are worth sharing twice. Um, I think this was a critical insight for us as a church that, that we get in trouble when we, when we interpret literal passages of Scripture figuratively and figurative passages of Scripture literally. Um, one leads to legalism and the other one leads to, whew, I don't know but it doesn't get you anywhere, okay? Um, and so uh, let me give you a few examples. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Uh, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstance for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Figurative or literal. I think many of us kind of take those literally. That, that what they really apply to are, are good days. And I would push back and say, no, they probably apply more to our bad days. That these are commands that are meant to be taken literally. Now, it doesn't mean that you party like it's 1999. 
Which is the same thing as saying, you know, you know party like Pastor Allen. <laughs> you know, that was just, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just sharing the love. I'm speaking the truth in love. He knows how to shut it down if you know what I mean. All right. Um, but it does mean that you have the joy of the Lord. No matter what, no matter when, no matter where. The joy of the Lord is kind of this emotional baseline for you. Um, now stop and think about uh, this angelic announcement of the birth of Christ. They could have announced it any way they wanted, right? They could have framed it any which way. But what, what did they say? Uh, we bring good news of what? Not just joy. Great joy. We bring good news of great joy. This is the announcement of the gospel. And so if you reverse engineer this whole thing, I think what you get back to is that the one differentiating factor for those of us who follow Christ ought to be great joy. There ought to be great joy. We ought to be the most joyful people on the planet. Yeah. It doesn't mean you have to smile like you're a televangelist. Okay? But you ought to smile more. You ought to smile in keeping with your personality and character. You ought to laugh more. We ought to be a little bit better of having fun. Why? Because we take God seriously, but we don't take ourselves seriously. I think the happiest, holiest, healthiest people on the planet are the people that laugh at themselves the most. Now, Again, just step back. And I want to I paint a little picture here because um, I want to make sure we get this. Look at the Old Testament and, and you'll find that God has instituted um, seven feasts. Now, feasts are just kind of religious parties, celebrations, if you will. And, and they are the rhyme and reason of the Jewish calendar, kind of the rhythm of life. Okay, uh, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And each one of these has a very different kind of um, point of emphasis or purpose. Uh, feast of First Fruits, the, the Feast of Shavat, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Succoth. Now, why would God ordain seven feasts? Okay. I don't want to just throw this out there to, to prove a point. I think part of it certainly is that the Jewish people were good at remembering what they should forget and forgetting what they should remember. But so are we. A feast is a way to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, we know because of the holidays we celebrate and not every Christmas song is about the birth of Jesus, is it? We've got a little jingle, jingle, jingle bells in there. And so it's easy to get a little off focus, um, and I think it's okay to watch a 30-minute documentary about Frosty the Snowman. Okay, don't get me wrong, but that has nothing to do with what Christmas is about. And so, same thing happened in Jewish culture as our culture. It doesn't matter. Like, it's just easy to, to lose the reason for the season. But what I'm saying is this, that I think God wanted to teach his people how to celebrate. So I'm going to give you seven feasts. 
I'm going to make it a part of the warp and woof of your life so that I weave joy into your life, so that I weave the, the ability to celebrate into your life. Now, I believe that when we worship God, we are most closely reflecting what is happening in heaven because Revelation 4 lets us look through the floorboards of heaven and what we see are those who are worshiping God nonstop. The elders, the angels, uh, those who have gone before us. Um, but, but I think the second, the, the second best reflection is celebration. Now, the reason why I say that is because Luke 15 says that all of heaven rejoices when one sinner is saved. And so, I don't have time to do the math, but if you looked at all the people all around the world that, that got saved every single day, there, there wouldn't be a second that goes by that someone isn't putting their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what that tells me, just in a very literal way, the celebration never stops in heaven. But, but I think then we also have to personalize it and realize that the moment you turn from sin to Christ, that in that moment, you set off a celebration in all of heaven. How awesome is that? And so when we celebrate, we're doing what they're so good at in heaven. And I think that's part of what it means to be a wise man. Now, here's what I love about this, and we'll kind of dig back into this story. Uh, these were ancient intellectuals. And so f forgive me for, for saying this, um, because I know a lot of intellectuals who are very in touch with their emotions. But sometimes intellectuals can be a little bit more cerebral and a little bit less emotional. They don't laugh out loud as easily, don't spontaneously celebrate without research and analysis. Um, so, so the wise men, I'm just, you know, playing with you a little bit um, with our Georgetown location. Um, <laughs> just saying you're really smart. Um, these are ancient PhDs, but, but they haven't forgotten how to laugh. They haven't forgotten how to have fun. They haven't forgotten how to celebrate. Why do I say that? Because it says they were filled with joy. Now, the NIV says they were overjoyed. And so overdose on joy, okay? Um, the ESV says, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And the MAB says, jump for joy like little children. Those are my initials. <laughs> I might start incorporating my translation a little bit more over the next year. Um, and I will try to make sure it's not heretical. Um, it's a combination of four words in the Greek language. Is filled with joy or overjoyed? Four words. It takes four words in the Greek language to, to describe what is happening within. This is like spontaneous combustion of joy that just comes out. Now, part of it is if you've been traveling for a thousand miles, like you're going to be pretty happy. We are here. We're here. We finally arrived. The caravan's stopping. I'm sick and tired of my camel spitting. We're staying right here because we found what we are looking for. Um, I feel like doing a U2 song right now. Here's my question. Did you rejoice as much as you could have or should have this past year? And is that perhaps one of your great shortcomings? Did you count your blessings enough times? Did you enjoy the journey? Did, did you hit your laugh quota? 
Did you smile as much as you could have or should have? Now, let me tell you, tell you where joy is found, and we'll go to the last point. Um, it's found in the exact same place where the wise men found it. Not Bethlehem. Not following a star. It's found in a person. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ. True joy is only found in the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You haven't experienced joy until your sin has been forgiven and forgotten until you have come to the realization that you are the apple of God's eye. That's what the Bible calls you. Listen, you can't change all of your circumstances, but you can change your focus. And Hebrews 12 says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Let me just tell you a little something right here. If you fix your eyes on sin, you're doing exactly what the enemy wants you to do. Uh, you'll feel depressed. You'll feel defeated. And so my advice is don't focus on your sin, your sin that's been confessed. Don't focus on your sin. Focus on your Savior. You got to flip that coin, and it will flip your life. Uh, Christmas is not just a celebration uh, the birth of Christ. It's a celebration of his sinless life and his substitutionary death on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You might not get what you want under the tree. Sorry about that. But if you kneel at the foot of the cross, you'll get a gift unlike any gift ever offered. It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of your sin forgiven in one fell swoop. It's the gift of being in right relationship with the one who created you, with the one who has plans and purposes for your life. It's the gift of abundant life and eternal life. And I love the story about the little girl who was asked if she got what she wanted for Christmas. She thought about it for a second. She said, no, but then again, it's not my birthday. Come on now. I love that. I love that little girl. I don't know if she's real or not. <laughs> Whether it's made up or not, it's true. Um, it's not our birthday. It's the birth of Christ. Now, here's what I love about this. It's the birthday of Jesus, but he brings the gift. The gift of salvation. All we have to do is receive it. John 1 says, To as many as have received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Let me talk about this third lesson. Uh, wise men follow the star. Wise men jump for joy like little children. And wise men come bearing gifts. Verse 11 says, they entered the house, saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down, worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chest and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, dial in. I'm gonna tell you about one of the defining moments of my year, and then you're gonna think, you gotta be kidding me. Um, you're probably gonna be nonplussed by it, but it, it changed my life. Bizarre. I had a meeting with someone. Never met them before. 
They came into my office. I think it was a Wednesday afternoon. Um, they sat down, and I had no idea what the purpose of the meeting was. Um, but before we did anything, he pulled out a gift and gave it to me. I'm only thinking to myself, it's not my birthday. It's not Christmas. Why are you bringing me a gift? We're just meeting. He said something that has become a way of life for me. He said, wise men come bearing gifts. Like, whoa, what did I just hear? So you know what I've done this year? Stole the idea. And I love going places and bringing a gift. Saying, wise men come bearing gifts. <laughs> and it doesn't matter whether it's at Ebenezer's, you know, occasionally paying for the person behind me or at the corner mart. A couple of weeks ago, <laughs> I was picking up Josiah and a couple of the kids from school were in there. And I was like, they, they, uh picking something out and so I slipped the like just it's for me and two two kids behind me and so I, I walked out and I'm driving away it was so fun I see these kids run out of the store into the street like thank you like in my rearview mirror and I'm like yeah um uh but this week um it's pretty cool Laura was out at uh, Potomac Yard shopping and minivan got a flat tire so I went out and changed it and then drove it into the repair shop and uh, figured while I was at it, fix the tire, give me an oil change and a little tune-up because I got to go for inspection. Pray for me. <laughs> and the next day I went to pick it up and I paid for it and uh, printed out the credit card receipt, signed on the dotted line, and he gave me the key. One little problem. Not my key. Whoops. Now, craziest thing, though. The woman whose car it was was right behind me. And, and she said, that's mine. And so I'm thinking, this is no accident. And so I turned and I said, Merry Christmas. Your car repair is paid for. Here's your key. She started bawling. And we had a little moment. Me. The mechanic, <laughs> the gas station owner, and this lady. She, she couldn't stop crying. She kept saying, thank you, over and over again. I kept saying, well, Merry Christmas. Um, and uh, I didn't pull it out. I should have. Wise men come bearing gifts. <laughs> uh, now, here's the thing. I'm just going to put it out there because I don't want you to think it was too great. It was 41 bucks. So it must be probably an oil change, something really minor. But evidently, it was $41 she didn't have, or it had been a long time since anyone had ever given her a gift for no reason at all. I just wonder if we were truly wise men and wise women, if we would just look for opportunities to come bearing gifts. Now, how can we be a blessing to the people that are all around us all the time. And it doesn't have to be something financial. Some of the greatest gifts I've gotten are a word of encouragement, just spoken right when I needed to hear it. Or even something small, or the gift of time, or a batch of cookies. Um, it doesn't take a ton of effort, a ton of money. 
Um, I just think wise men come bearing gifts. And, and it's how I'm trying to, to live my life. I'm trying to figure out how to live this out. Now, for the past 10 years, um, I've served as a trustee for a charitable trust. And I think you know that if you've attended. Um, and it's just, it's so joyful. What we do is we give grants um, to ministries that are just getting started. Um, but there is a certain qualification. We're not looking to pad anybody's pocket or to pay for programs. Um, there was a stipulation in the original trust document that this would be miracle money. In other words, that those who were the recipients of it would perceive it to be a miracle um, that, that would help whatever dream God had given them, help it become reality. And so it's our litmus test. And every year we remind ourselves of this as trustees. And, and time and time again, we've heard back from people that have gotten a grant, like it was a miracle. It was a miracle. Well, no, no, it was just a gift. No, it was a miracle. No, it was just a gift. No, it was a miracle. It was a gift. It was a miracle. It was a gift. It was a miracle. They're the same thing. Your gift is someone else's miracle. I mean, it might be a $41 miracle. It might be something else. But I'm looking at this story, and I'm thinking to myself, these gifts were not just gifts for Mary and Joseph. I mean, on one level, they seem like the wrong gifts, right? Like, has any child in the history of the world had myrrh on their Christmas list? <laughs> Dear Santa, myrrh. <laughs> one, two, frankincense. Uh, you know, maybe gold, but, you know, get the kid a ancient action figure, right? David with a slingshot or something. These are the wrong gifts. No, they're the perfect gifts. Um, Joseph is warned in a dream that he has to flee to Egypt. How does a minimum wage carpenter have the money to pay for a trip to a foreign country, especially when he's gone to Bethlehem to pay taxes? See, we ignore the financial reality in this story. Mary and Joseph needed a miracle, and that miracle was provided by someone that God sent a thousand miles. Now, I'm not saying that they ran to the closest pawn shop and, and you know, turned it in for cash, but I, I know this, gold will get you a long ways towards Egypt, right? And so their gift was a miracle for Mary and Joseph. I just don't think anything has changed. Your gift is someone else's miracle. And so... I hope you hear this from the bottom of my heart. I, I am so overwhelmed by the faithfulness, by the generosity, by the giving spirit of this church. I want to say thank you because I really do believe that it translates into miracles. I mean, this year, we together, um, I think it's going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $1.3 million that we've given to missions. I promise you this. It's a miracle for those who are on the other side receiving it. I mean, I just immediately right now, I think of Bishop Namdi. You know, Summer went on the Zambia trip and the orphanage there and the kids that were helping to support that ministry. It is a miracle it is our gifts are a miracle for that ministry. Um, uh, this year, I believe it was 96 people went public um, uh, with baptism. 
hundreds more cross the line of faith. Um, and, and so many hundreds more have found a church home where they found a spiritual family, a place where they belong, a place where they can grow spiritually. And I just, none of that would be possible if it wasn't for all of us giving the way that God has led us to give. And it's led to all of these different miracles that God is doing. Now, one of them, and I'm just going to touch on it and then we're done, is the Dream Center. I mean, uh, a year ago, uh, you gave $3 million in about three months. Why? Because we're bound and determined, not on our watch. We're not going to let some of the things that are happening in our city happen without us rolling up our sleeves and doing something about it. We're going to be the hands and feet of Christ. We're going to bless our city. We're going to love our city, and we're going to do it in some places that are more difficult to do it than others. And so um, I just, first of all, thank you for that. Secondly, as a way of checking back in, which we've tried to do over the last couple of months. You know, not, not every dream. The, the wise men didn't, it was a thousand miles straight line, okay? We're not talking about, but deserts, bodies of water, mountains. Like it wasn't as simple as just straight shot. The Dream Center has not been a straight shot, okay? But, but I do want to let you know, and, and we wanted to let you in when, when, when the vote didn't go our way in that first meeting. We ask you to pray because sometimes we share the miracle that happens after instead of some of the challenges we're going through during it. And we weren't sure how this one would turn out. Now, the second uh, meeting was more favorable, but wow, the meeting ended in chaos. And we were still up in the air like, what's going to happen? Thursday night uh, at the dinner table, I get a text from Pastor Joel and uh, just says, unanimous favor. Come on. Now, we thank God um, for those ANC commissioners who gave us their favor. More than that, we thank God for his favor. And and if his favor is upon us, then we're going to find favor in the things that we put our hands to. And so this has been the longest journey. Um, and, And we have a January 14th meeting with the zoning commission, which is the next step. And so we need to continue to pray for favor. But what I'm saying is, you know what? Your, your giving has set us up, I believe, to experience a miracle. And once we get this thing built, it is gonna be a miracle for every kid who walks through that door. Every kid who walks through that door is a miracle waiting to happen. And you know what? Your giving made it possible. And so I wanna say a huge thank you. I, I had a closing story, but I'm done. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us today to hear your word, to respond to it. Lord, I pray for those who uh, maybe are staring at their phone instead of staring at the stars, that have a dream that you've put in their heart. God, maybe this last year, they, they know they should have gone on a mission trip. They, they know they should have taken a leap of faith, stepped out, but maybe played it safe or played it comfortable. And looking back on this year, playing it close to the vest is is one of their greatest regrets. I pray that you would give us the faith to know how and when and where we can step out uh, in this coming year to be obedient to the vision that you've given us. God, I pray that you would help us to celebrate more and to celebrate better, to to rejoice always. God, God, teach us what it means to have the joy of the Lord even on our worst day. And God, I pray that you would help us to come bearing gifts. 
Lord, help us follow in the footsteps of those who traveled a long way to bless Mary and Joseph and to give a gift that was a miracle. God, I thank you for the miracles that you've done in us and through us this past year. Lord, we just step into this, uh, this season of Christmas and Lord, then into a new year. God, help us come bearing gifts so that we can see the miracles that will follow from it. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.